You are listening to Pod Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. Easy going, easy come. Where'd you get your info from? I found mine on Reuters. Fact-checked by three sources that were fact-checked for biases and are equal opportunity employers. All right. Hey, before we get started, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Do your skin a solid with solid lotion bars. Your body heat melts these extremely moisturizing bars into usable lotion. Packaged in portable tins, these are great for the gym, travel, gift giving, and good for any person who's on the go. With many options to choose from, there's a solid bar just for you. My personal favorite is Citrus Bursts. So Pod Save the Rest of Us listeners, do us and your skin a solid by supporting our sponsor. Please visit Solid today at www.solidlotionbar.com. And to get your unlimited use savings, use the coupon code PODSAVE. Trust me, your skin will thank you. Welcome back to Pod Save the Rest of Us. We are your hosts, Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We have been working in the off-season to bring you stories of 10 vastly different women who, through the resiliency, have beaten the odds and nevertheless persisted. We walked away from these interviews feeling inspired. We hope you do too. If you like the episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and help us get these stories out into the world. Enjoy the episode. In today's episode, we introduce to you Jamie and her family. Jamie is an only child of two disabled parents. She was raised by her two biological parents, but also her paternal grandparents. In this episode, you will learn how Jamie, when she was a young adult, suddenly became a caregiver to her parents. A responsibility she knew was inevitable. What Jamie was not prepared for, however, was understanding she had the strength and the love to care for her parents, and this responsibility has taught her many life lessons. Most importantly, the utmost importance of family and a healthy network of support. So, I, whenever asked about my family, I preface the conversation by telling people that I and my family were a bit of an anomaly. Um, both of my parents were born with, well, my father with brain damage and my mother as well, but for different reasons. They are high functioning. Um, however, they have learning differences and challenges that the average person who isn't born with any birth defects doesn't face. Um, my mother, has a genetic disorder. It's deletion of the 13th chromosome. The Genetic and Rare Disease Center explains the deletion of the 13th chromosome is a chromosome abnormality that occurs when there is a missing copy of the genetic material on the long arm of the chromosome 13. The severity of the condition and the signs and symptoms depend on the size and location of the deletion and which genes are involved. Features that often occur in people with chromosome 13 deletion include developmental delay, intellectual disability, behavioral problems, and distinctive facial features. Um, it 
manifest in different people in different ways. So for some people, they suffer from severe developmental delays. My mother, she has severe dyslexia. She does have cognitive problems where she takes longer to process. Um, she's a latent walker. And she was put in classes for people who had severe cognitive display de uh, delays or had learning differences as a child. And that was very hard for her in the 1950s. Um, she's a little slow, to put it simply. My father as well, he's a little slow. Um, he was born with brain damage because his mother, well, during the, the birth process, his mother was given an anesthesia, or a, I guess called an anesthesia, uh, a painkiller that she, would, she wasn't supposed to have. And my father was deprived of oxygen. And he also has reading and writing issues um, and processing issues and sometimes a hard time kind of uh, giving information back out there. Jamie explains her parents' family background. My mom was from a very poor biracial family in Oakland, bicultural, and my dad was from more of a middle-class family. And they both got support in different ways uh, and were encouraged to achieve their highest potential, which is kind of miraculous that they found each other in a community college program in Oakland and got married and had me. Um, when I came along, my parents were living on the same block as my grandparents, my father's parents, and they helped raise me um, because of my parents' limitations. Essentially, Growing up, Jamie had two sets of parents. So growing up, it was almost like I had four parents. Um, I called my grandparents mom and dad, and I called my parents mom and dad or mommy and daddy to distinguish between them and my grandparents. It was unspoken, the hierarchy. My grandparents felt like the head honchos. Uh, I would take paperwork to them, obviously, or if I gave it to my parents, they would take it to my grandparents. My grandparents helped my parents on all economic decisions, and I watched that growing up. They helped them on purchases. They even helped them grocery shop because my parents couldn't manage a budget. Um, and my grandparents received military discounts. And so they would shop at the commissary in Alameda for my parents, and then my father would write my grandparents a check. Um, I watched that growing up. I watched those dynamics and it was really clear that my grandparents were the boss. They were the bosses. And so usually my grandparents had final decisions on things. Um, my parents, I do remember getting into battles in high school with my mother about maybe going to a concert or going out at times. Um, but really, I felt like my grandparents in many ways were my parents because they were the ultimate authority figures and my parents were just like extra, extra parents. I don't know how to quite explain it. Um, my parents would, you know, take me to school. My mother would walk me to school when I was a kid. Um, they would show up at family events. I can't remember with conferences if my grandparents would show up as well. I feel like they might have, at least in high school, when we did open houses and things of that nature, or when we toured the school. 
Um, I mean, I was told later in life by coach that when I joined the basketball team, my grandfather privately approached her and told her that, you know, if it, if anything needed to be dealt with to go through my grandparents. So I imagine that that must have been happening a lot and I just didn't know it. Given the family dynamics, though, it was the paternal grandparents that were often the go-to parents throughout Jamie's young life. I wish they kind of would have empowered my parents a little bit more to be parents. Um, and I remember getting comments from that from neighbors who watched me grow up, a neighbor, a family friend, that she often felt that my grandparents didn't empower my mother. There was definitely some power dynamics there where my grandparents didn't respect my mother enough, my poor mother, or empower her enough. Um, that's every family. Every, every family has its stuff, right? Every family has its power dynamics. Um, but in, at the end of the day, I was very lucky because I had four people who loved me dearly and cherished me. Having four parents, uh, having that very old school traditional structure where your parents and grandparents are on the same street, um, that grounded me and that gave me a lot of love. And I think that connected me to an old school way of life and also to an immigrant culture way of life. I think I identified with family friends who had our friends who had similar family structures. And I think it made me more open and understanding um, how about family dynamics and how family structures aren't always traditional or typical. In high school, Jamie's grandmother lets Jamie know that she will be responsible for her parents soon enough. She will have the responsibility of making sure parents are not taken advantage of, as their cognitive skills could and would make them vulnerable to predatory behavior. One thing I distinctly remember about growing up with my parents and their disabilities or differences, it's hard to classify. And part of why it's hard to classify is because it wasn't directly spoken about and explained uh, in a way that was textbook, so to speak, or this is a diagnosis and this is what we need to do. Um, I do remember my mother's mother, my grandmother, telling me that, I think I was about in high school, that I needed to be with my parents and help them out for major purchases and to navigate different bureaucratic type transactions. She told me, you know, when you, when they go to buy a car, you have to help them. You're going to have to negotiate because they'll get taken advantage of. And I remember listening to that and it was painful to hear, but I knew she was right and um, there was no sugarcoating it with her. But that was the only time she ever talked to me about having parents who had differences in learning disabilities. In high school, Jamie was struggling to make sense of her world. There seemed to be a need for secrecy around her parents' differences. Even a desperate plea for counseling to understand her world prove useless and the message to Jamie was she'll figure out everything when the time comes. I remember trying to speak to father's mother about it at one point 
I remember trying to get my whole family in counseling in high school because I was trying to make sense of what was going on and it wasn't being talked about at home. And it was really hard. It was confusing. It was embarrassing having these parents who were a little slow. And I didn't know how to make sense of it. Um, but the counseling didn't work. We all got in a room and it was very awkward and uncomfortable and nothing really happened. So I let go of that. But I remember trying to talk to my grandmother about it and her attitude. She was very spiritual and she was into lots of different religions and spiritual practices. She she was basically like, you chose this family before you were born into this body. Uh, suck it up and deal with it. You're here for a reason. Figure it out. And I think that approach to life has always guided me. Um, you have to make the most out of situations and you have to rise to the challenge and you have to rise to the occasion and be of service. And so that's what I've learned to do with my parents. Jamie's second set of parents were so important to her and their passing was and still is devastating for Jamie. Their passing meant the loss of two people she loved wholeheartedly. But their passing also marked the moment she became her parents' parent. Um, my grandparents passed away when I was in college, my father's parents, the ones who lived on the same block as us, and that was traumatic for me. I called them mom and dad. Um, they were the ones who helped negotiate and process applications if well actually they didn't help me with my college applications that was out of their league I was the first in my family to go to college coach Stanley helped me and so did my boss um, who I worked for in high school her husband helped me write my essay um, but when my grandparents died my grandparents placed me as the co-executor of their trust and suddenly I had to help my father process paperwork and negotiate funeral transactions. I think I was 22, 22. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was overwhelmed and I was grieved. I was deeply griefed. And over time, um, I started developing anxiety and it was very severe and I had panic attacks and it got worse um, at one point when I realized um, a family friend who was a, a relative, or not a relative, a friend of my grandparents, he actually left me a lot of money. He left me his estate. Um, and that's how I went to private school. Uh, I think he and my grand, while he was alive, I think he and my grandfather split the cost of private school um, because in fifth grade, I transitioned from public schools in Oakland to private went to Catholic schools. And when he passed away, I believe I was in seventh grade and he left me his estate and it paid for me to go to a fancy private Catholic high school and college. <laughs> and that money uh, helped me buy a house. Sadly, it seemed inevitable that Jamie's parents would be exploited. Unexpectedly, Jamie discovered that she was exploited as well. This discovery led Jamie to battle a panic disorder and episodes of anxiety. When my grandparents died, I went through the belongings of this man and his stuff was in our basement. And I found some things that really bothered me and it triggered memories. And I realized that he had a really inappropriate obsession with me. 
Um, he liked little girls. And when I called my family out on it, they acknowledged it. And my mother, who I spoke to about it, she was basically like, well, he's dead now. He can't hurt you anymore. And, um, you know, kind of like my grandmother, like tough love, like suck it up and get it together and move on and live your life. And I did, but it took a lot of therapy and at one point some anxiety medication. I think what that complicated the grief of losing my grandparents, it was like when they passed away, the filter was blown off. And suddenly I had to really think about who my family was, how I grew up, how I was raised, and I was so vulnerable and lost. Um, and fortunately to cope, I, Coach Stanley miraculously started, um, I was finally graduated college and she, she needed players for a basketball team. Uh, at Ohlone and I was lost. I had just graduated college. My grandparents had passed away. I didn't know what to do with my life and I was having anxiety all the time and I had realized that this family friend who put me through school was a pedophile and had a weird obsession with me and I felt so betrayed and I felt lost and I felt vulnerable and I was having panic attacks nonstop. And to cope, uh, I asked Coach Stanley if I could join her basketball team. <laughs> so I went back to Ohlone after I graduated college and started playing basketball. And it was amazing because I got to relive a dream of playing for her again. She had left um, my high school and to go coach at another school for various reasons. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll know. <laughs> And that was amazing because suddenly I was part of a community. I had a focus. It was fun. It was challenging. I got to get in shape, which is good for the mind, body, and spirit. And that's what I did. I did that for two years. And then I decided it was time to figure out a career. So I enrolled in a teaching program and kind of got myself on a career path. And in that process, I did a lot of therapy and at one point took medication a little later on because anxiety came back when I found myself in a relationship and had to be vulnerable again. And uh, I just strived to find ways to live a healthy life and cope. And along that path with my parents, I slowly had to um, take more and more responsibility for them. Um, more so, I'd say in the past five years, four or five years. A serious health scare, in fact, a death scare, brought to full light how important Jamie is to her parents, but also how important they are to her. Uh, about four years ago, my mother had a severe, well, it was actually classified as moderate because she recovered. Um, but she had a heart attack post-surgery in Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, and um, I almost watched her die. She coded 13 times. We thought it was over. I was calling relatives. I stay in the hospital with her when she goes in because I worry about her ability to articulate her needs due to her differences in learning disabilities. Um, I worry that she will be dismissed in the hospital. I worry that she won't understand because she's hard of hearing. Um, 
And I do think in the healthcare system, when you have someone who's asking questions and not blindly saying yes to doctors, they realize that they need to be extra invested because you have someone who cares and you have someone who's going to challenge you and advocate for you. And so I make that a a practice when my mom ends up in the hospital to stay with her. So fortunately that night I was staying with her. And honestly, had I not been there, I wonder if she would have made it because she was having chest pains and couldn't breathe. And the nurse dismissed it and said she was having anxiety. The nurse walked out of the room to, I think, get something. And when she walked back, my mom said she's feeling worse. And so I shouted down the hall to the other nurses at a station who came running in. And the next thing I know, my mom was coding. And the rapid response team came and took her away to the ICU. And I walked down there with another nurse. And it was like suddenly my life had turned upside down again. Um, And I watched a team of maybe 15 people, doctors, nurses, uh, and other care teams try to resuscitate her and stabilize her. And thankfully they did. It was miraculous. It was miraculous. Um, I remember speaking to her as she was coding and the doctors and her responding and looking at me. And the doctors had told me, were telling me to keep talking to her. And my relatives arrived, her sister, my aunt, my uncle, my dad. Um, they stood beside me as I talked to my mom, trying to get her to hold on to her life. And they stabilized her. And, uh, sorry, it's very emotional to remember. So they stabilized her and she fought for her life. Her body had shut down. She was on dialysis. She was intubated. And I stayed with her night and day for about 30 days, maybe 35. Um, and slowly she recovered. And I'm really fortunate because I'm an only child. But I never felt alone in that process. My friends came. My cousins came. <laughs> My coach, Coach Stanley, came. Um, when I was exhausted, my mother's sisters would come and uh, give me a break so I could stay at home for a night. Uh, they'd come and hang out at the hospital, and I'd go home and take a shower. She was My mother was rarely alone. And the few times where she was alone, something went wrong. You know, once she fell out of the chariot and uh, at Kaiser, they didn't have, they were short-staffed, and fortunately nothing happened. Um... But through that process, um, and then she coded again, actually, when they were, because they were moving too fast and trying to get her um, a dialysis port put in and wanted to do a surgery that was she wasn't ready for. But fortunately, she recovered from that. And fortunately, her kidneys came back. It was really a long process. Jamie is helping her mother fight for her life. And through this journey, Jamie finds her own inner strength. But through that, I constantly had to speak with doctors and nurses every day, and I had to learn to advocate. And I think that made me really strong, and it broke my fear of authority and having to negotiate or speak with someone who might be more educated than myself, although I'm pretty educated. Um, 
I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I have a master's degree and I work in education. So it's a different ballpark. But yeah, that process definitely built my resiliency uh, and in a way that I could never have imagined. And I felt like after I had been through that process and my mom was released from the hospital and she had a miraculous comeback and, you know, she didn't have any uh, cognitive trauma from that and she didn't lose her kidneys. She was back to normal and her heart eventually even recovered. My mother's kind of amazing. Uh, I learned that I, I think I could do anything. And while I was away and on family leave from work, I was called and I was offered a promotion, which further blew me away. It was another blessing. And they said, if I came back, they would promote me to uh, a quasi leadership role in my department. And so I accepted and I went back to work. And in that process, I started coming from LA to Oakland every other weekend to make sure my mother was on track and recovering and taking her meds and preparing her meds and preparing her insulin needles and cooking meals and preparing them and stuffing the fridge for a week at a time. And over time we found other systems, you know, we learned to order different food services. The app world blew up and now, you know, we were able to do much more online than before. Um, but I I just wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And I knew I didn't have children. I still don't. And I wasn't married. I didn't have kids or a boyfriend. So I felt like there was no excuse for me to step up and advocate for her and help her um, heal. Jamie has embraced the role of parent. She answers the question, were you prepared to take on this role? So... Um, I think my process of stepping into the role of parenting my parents has been a slow and gradual one. Uh, I don't know if I was ever really ready, but it was just something I knew I had to do. And you kind of suck it up and you do what you have to do to take care of your family. Um, and I think it is getting hard now because I'm 41 and I'm considering having my own family and I wonder how I'm going to navigate being of service to my parents, living in another city, and um, taking care of my own children should I have them. Uh, but I always feel like, you know, usually where there's a will, there's a way, and you can figure it out. And if my partner's strong enough, we'll be okay. And his life is tied to L.A., so... I can't imagine us moving, uh, not at this point. My parents will probably have to move them in eventually. So uh, I'm lucky to have a supportive boyfriend who's open to that, or at least he thinks he is. We'll see what happens when the time comes. Jamie explains how caring for her parents has many challenges, but it has led to Jamie valuing life and living each day with gratitude. You know, it's just kind of like you never know when a tornado is going to hit or an earthquake or a tsunami for that matter. Um, I can be in L.A. and I can get a call that suddenly my mom's going into emergency because she's having chest pains. Um, I think I came home two weeks ago and the moment I walked in the door, my father said to me, oh, thank God you're here. Your mom's having chest pains. So we immediately called E.R., I didn't even walk through the door and, you know, there was a crisis. There was a fire to put out. Fortunately, she's okay. They're not sure why this is happening, but 
It is something we'll get to eventually. Um, you know, and there's little things. Last night, she tripped over her own feet because her balance is poor, because her eyesight's poor, because she's overweight. And fortunately, nothing happened and she was fine. But the moment I saw, started to see her go to the ground, I immediately think, oh God, is she having a stroke? Did she just pass out? Is she having a dizzy spell? Is this it? You know, every time something happens, I ask myself, is this it? And it's facing constant uncertainty. But in doing that, I think it's made me embrace life more and makes me want to enjoy each day to the fullest. Um, I try to practice gratitude on a daily basis. I try to think about what's going well. I try to think about how I can make things better. I'm really grateful for my friends, my family. I have so many supportive friends. Um, my friends are kind of like siblings to me. I have my aunts, I have my uncles, I have plenty of people I can call if I need support and, or help or help, or, you know, if I need to negotiate something or navigate a new system that I'm not familiar with. So I guess I just try to have a really positive attitude and focus on what is going well in my life. And that's how I survive. It's really hard for me these days to be around anyone who's negative or critical because I feel that's a drain and I feel like life's challenging enough without having that sort of attitude. Um, and I enjoy my work. I'm really fortunate. I have a supportive work network. Even my colleagues are supportive uh, and very understanding and accommodating. And I just, I try to make the most out of life. I really do. I try to be thankful for what's going well. And I've learned not to sweat the small stuff. And if I do sweat the small stuff, I, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's go do some yoga or go on a walk or have a margarita. <laughs> let's go do something fun if I'm getting wrapped up in sweating the small stuff. Jamie has learned to value, respect, and appreciate her parents. Their gifts to her have been well-received. The lessons of their lives through their struggles have challenged Jamie to strive each and every day for self-actualization. I tried my best to feed the relationships that support me and be grateful for them and enjoy every moment of the people I love and their company and be grateful for the kindness they offer me and the support they offer me. I feel really blessed despite my parents' disabilities. And if anything, I think now as an adult, where it's not so embarrassing to have a father with Asperger's-like symptoms or have parents who can't read and write um, or are awkward in social situations, I think now I look at my parents and I think, wow, um, they were able to reach their highest potential. They've been able to reach their highest potential despite their disabilities, despite being teased as kids for being different, for being awkward, uh, for being slow. They were able to find each other, get married and have a healthy child. And I admire them. And I think, wow, if they have the courage to pursue their life dreams, then I should have courage as well um, because I've been given more than them. Although always ever so focused on being a great caregiver for her parents, Jamie is also working on creating her own life on her own path. I am trying to create my own life and 
my next dream. I, I've accomplished my educational goals. I've been able to create a good life for myself and a professional pathway. And I'm proud of the work that I do and where I work. Um, I'm the director of an art program for ISAF Public Schools. And I work in South Central. And I'm thankful to be of service. I'm thankful to work in the arts. I'm thankful to work with really interesting and engaging community partners um, and wonderful teachers who want to serve our students and provide them with pathways for creativity and self-expression. Uh, very grateful for that. And I think the next thing I'd like to branch out in my life is have my own family, get married, um, and pursue my own creative practices and make space for that. So that's the next challenge is how to balance adding these new components of life to my already full plate. Jamie spent her whole youth preparing to care for her parents. This prep work paid off as she has helped her mother fight to live. What Jamie did not know the whole time she was helping her parents, they were teaching her to manifest a life she valued with the strength she found along the way. Jamie teaches us that despite the challenges, despite whether or not we're prepared, we can fight for others as well as fighting for ourselves. Life is what we make it, no matter what is thrown at us along the way. Indeed, Jamie has nevertheless persisted. To learn more about how we can care for our family members, please visit Family Caregiver Alliance at www.caregiver.org. This episode was engineered and produced by Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We want to thank our contributors, Hunter Lewis and Robert Stanley for theme music, Danny Burns for transition music, Justice Stanley for web and social media content, Jasmine Smith for web design, Caprice Hall for graphic artwork, and our sponsors, Solid Lotion Bars and the JEI Learning Center. If you wish to find us, you can find us at www.podsavetherestofus.com as well as on Instagram at podsavetherestofus. You can also find us on Twitter at savetherestofus. We'd like to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.